Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. This is Chrissy Jambowski, and I have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Parent to Parent. This is Chrissy. And this is Beth Ann. And today we have Kate Lannon here with us from A Haven, which is a nonprofit organization located in Exton that provides grief support through groups, community outreach, and educational resources. Kate, welcome to today's podcast. Hello. Thank you. Um, so, Kate, I think a good place to start would be can you tell us about A Haven and also um, your organization's approach to helping kids and adults manage um, losing a loved one. Yes, that's a great place to start. So A Haven is a nonprofit organization. We are a grief center supporting kids ages three to 25 and their caregivers. And we really like to have a family-centered approach in all that we do. So we welcome and provide grief support services, not only for the kids, but also for the significant adults in their lives so that we can encourage families to be grieving together even when they're not on site at a Haven. Um, and so when I'm saying grief and talking about grieving, we know that grief can touch many different areas of someone's life. At a Haven specifically, we work with families following a death. So when someone in the family has died or, or a loved one, a friend, or someone else in their community has died, that's when families come to a Haven. Although a lot of what I talk about when I'm talking about grief does resonate with people who are grieving other types of losses or life transitions. Mm, that makes sense. And what are the resources that you guys offer. So you have groups and things like that. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So our mission really is to partner with grieving families by providing grief support, community outreach, education, and hope. So we have really a multi-pronged approach to providing support for families following a death. The bulk of what we do is direct grief support in family groups, either on site here or by supporting students in schools. We'll go off site and run um, grief support groups in schools. But we also do have um, free printable resources like documents that you can actually look at when you have a question about, you know, someone has died. I don't know how to talk to my kids about this. This feels really scary. I'm not sure what to say. Um, you can access those on our website on the resources tab. You can pull those up, read those, have some of those questions answered, even have some talking points that you can utilize. Mm. We do a lot of work out in the community. So we provide grief trainings for school staff, other community partners who are interested, just helping other adults who are interacting with kids at each different developmental stage, helping them know how to support grieving kids and what to look for in a child who is grieving, right? We, we don't often know what grief looks like. And a lot of times when we're working with kids, there's a focus on 
a behavior or what we're seeing outwardly when really when a child is grieving that can look like a lot of different behaviors when really it's the grief kind of being expressed through play or fidgetiness or whatever it may be so we provide trainings for other adults and professionals so that they know how to support grieving kids and so that they're equipped as well and then really just doing the work of welcoming families here and and helping them know that you can move forward in grief and you can do that together and you can do it with a larger network of support as well. I wanted to go back to something you and I were chatting about before we started officially recording. And that was um, the, the sense of from the time that your organization started a Haven to where you are today and sort of the, um, I guess the, the attitudes or perceptions about seeking services around grief um, and loss and sort of maybe how you've seen that change in the last few years or I, I guess the demand or just the just just folks feeling more comfortable and being okay with being vulnerable about coming into a group setting and sort of being part of that experience that you provide. Yeah, I do think that there has been this sort of cultural shift as we have all lived through COVID and just become more aware of the impact that grief has on our lives. And as so many people have grieved losses that occurred during COVID, not only because of COVID, but just all of the different losses that occurred when we really couldn't gather together, we realized how significant the gathering after a death actually is. And so there was like a broader conversation that kind of started at that time. And in the period of time since really the height of the pandemic, what we've seen is this awareness of that, like, hey, we actually, we should be doing this together. We don't have to grieve in isolation. We can grieve in community. And this, again, broader awareness of caring for yourself and taking good care of yourself is a really proactive process that we have to be engaged in um, intentionally. And so, you know, families are reaching out to a haven where, you know, really busier than we've been. And it's because, you know, not because more families are experiencing death, you know, grief is universal and it's something that we'll all experience at some point. So it's not necessarily that there is more grief, but there is more of a willingness to come forward, to engage with other people and to know that that is actually a really important piece of caring for yourself well when you're living through a loss. Yeah, and I think that we've we've sort of um, when we have podcasts with um, other professionals, providers that are working in the field of mental health, that we're sort of hearing that across their perception also, or their experience has been that you know families and youth are more comfortable um, having these really you know dealing with these really tragic moments, um, these complicated, uncomfortable conversations or these experiences, and that even youth are more, and and I, again, my, my kids are 28 and 26, but I can go back to their middle school, high school, college years, and they had a lot of um, comfort in talking with professionals and each other about whether it was loss or grief or mental health issues or it was just different. Like they did not seem to have so much of a um, challenge about expressing those emotions. And I know that um, some of the work that we're doing now with our different conversations with youth in the Downingtown community, they're quite open and comfortable with sharing and also referring each other 
for help and going together or encouraging someone to be part of these groups. So there is this shift in a good way. Yeah. We've, we're hearing that at least across the board from other providers and parents who um, may be less so than their own kids, but are also now starting to be okay with saying, all right, you know, not worrying about judgment or you know, being that more vulnerable to, to, to get into a group setting and like being like, this is okay. Like this, as you said, comfortable being in community setting to grieve. I don't have to hold this at home and struggle at home. Yeah. And you, you know, you bring, you bring up a point that comes up often here at a Haven is that really it's not the kids who are uncomfortable talking about this. They want to share about what they're going through. They want to talk about their people who have died. And it's us as adults who didn't get that opportunity when we were young because it was different culturally. Um, And and we feel kind of ill-equipped to help our kids navigate these really difficult transitions after a death. And so that's why at a Haven, our family-centered approach is really important because we know that if kids are only safe to talk about their grief and to talk about their person when they're on site with us here, we're not mm-hmm. doing our job well. We have to tend to the adults in these kids' lives so that they can then together away from the haven move forward in grief and move forward in remembering their person and memorializing their person making traditions together talking about the days that feel mm-hmm. really hard or all of the different emotions that come up in grief but again like for a lot of us as adults we didn't we didn't yeah. learn how to do that when we were young and so it's hard to model that for our kids it's hard to show them that it's okay to talk about these things when really we we don't know how to do that. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's what exactly what we're, we're finding out that it's um, that the youth are in a, in a different place with their their comfort with dealing with this. Um, the one of the things that you mentioned when you were um, talking about what happens at a haven was sort of this you know sharing sort of doing professional development or, or working with professionals and working with schools and parents to kind of recognize what grief looks like and um, that it's not a textbook thing necessarily and you know people don't necessarily fit those stages of, of grief and loss like textbook but it does look different at different ages. And if you could talk a little bit with us about, um, share with us what grief does look like. You said you have children from ages three to 25. That's a, that's a really big, big that's a big, yeah, it's right? a big spread. But I was just like blown. I, I thought you were going to say like 18 or, you know, but, but that's a lot. So you're crossing like into, into young adulthood where sometimes we make assumptions that by the time, sometimes I think assumptions are one, young kids just don't get it. And it's kind of out of sight, out of mind and, and yes. they'll be fine. And then yeah. the other assumption at the other end of that is, okay, you're older now. You're right. a young adult. You'll be fine. Clearly, yes. You'll be fine. And you'll be able to put this in its place and you'll have your moments, but seriously, you know, and wherever that those notions came from, we kind of operate under that with. So if you could talk about the three to 25, I'm really curious about um, just what that does look like and, and some general generalities, but things that are really helpful so people could be like, ah, yeah. that's what's happening here. Yeah, I love talking about this because really the things that that we believe and the things that we have believed about grief following a death for a long time, all of those things are wrong. You know, I mean, that's a generalization, but I, to have the opportunity to like really point directly at 
what you could expect to see um, really fills my professional bucket. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to talk about this a little bit. So really, so we see on-site here at a Haven, children ages three to 25. We used, we used to cap at 18, but really, I mean, right as you move into young adulthood, you are still very much a part of your family in the role of a child, even though you are an adult. And so we realized um, that we were really missing an important group there by capping at age 18. And so we just went up to 25, um, which really is when the brain is finished developing. And we said, we, you know, we have to probably pick an endpoint for, you know, at some point. And so 25 seems like a natural point for that. Um, and for the younger kids, we have kids ages three and up here, but that's not because children younger than that aren't grieving or are not capable of deeply grieving. We know that they really are. <clears throat> um, a baby who is old enough to look for something that has been removed. So think about peekaboo, right? Like, oh, where's mommy? And the baby is surprised and excited. Um, a child that old is old enough to grieve and really even younger than that, a newborn will physically long for a, a significant caregiver who has been removed or who is no longer present. Um, and so just because someone doesn't have the words or the emotional vocabulary to tell you what they are feeling, I think we have often perceived that as like they don't understand or they, they're just not capable of, of deeply grieving in this way. And that's just not true. And so for for children, even young babies and toddlers, um, there, there are important things that you can look for that you could tend to in grief. So as a caregiver, you're looking for, again, this is babies and young children, fussiness, clinginess, routines are going to be upset. Um, toddlers may have regression or big behavior outbursts. Um, all of these things are things that we want to be gentle with. We want to be patient. This is not a good time, you know, following a death. If there's a baby who is having like a big disruption in their sleep or something like that, this is not a time to tackle sleep training, right? Like this is a child who's telling you like, Hey, something feels different, right? Babies are so highly attuned to their caregivers. Something feels different. And I'm not sure if I'm safe. And so I'm crying out for you more because I need more physical presence. And so we tend to that grief by just being physically present. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that we can say that's going to communicate to them what's going on or to take away kind of the pain that they're feeling. And so we just tend to that with physical presence and patience and gentleness. Moving on from there for like a preschool age, maybe early and or early elementary, like kindergarten, first grade age student, we'd be looking for things like, again, regressions, um, lots of processing through play. I think it's important to remember that for kids, play is processing and behavior is communication. So when we're seeing like big outbursts and behaviors, we really want to be curious about like what's happening underneath of mm -hmm. there. So this, again, is an age group that's not going to have a lot of emotional vocabulary. They're not going to have a lot of ability to tell us what they're feeling. Um, and again, that does not mean that they're not deeply grieving. So they're going to be seeking a lot of safety. So again, here there's a clinginess, and a lack of certainty, um, still very highly attuned to the adults in their lives, really 
that piece, I'll stop saying it. Just know that it's a given. We see that yeah. piece at each yeah. stage of, mm-hmm. of child development. Kids are very highly attuned to the adults around them. And when we're withholding um, or hiding our emotional experience, that's very unsettling for kids because they know and have the sense that something is being hidden and that feels really scary. Um, so early elementary age, you're going to be hearing a lot of repeated questions, going to have to answer the same questions over and over again. Um, This is an age where they're not really going to be able to grasp the permanency of the death. And so it's normal for them to ask about like, when might I see this person again? When is this person coming back? I miss so-and-so. When will we see them again? We'd see magical thinking, Mm -hmm. right? There might be Mm -hmm. this kind of misplaced sense that the death was their fault um, or that if I'm really good tonight and I go to bed on time, mommy will come back in the morning, right? That's a, that's a normal thought process. This is just the brain's way of trying to make sense of something that, that doesn't really make Mm -hmm. sense. Um, So things like that, the repeated questions, it doesn't mean your child has forgotten or that there's something wrong with their memory. The magical thinking doesn't mean that like they're not getting it. You know, it's just this is just their way of making sense of the change that has happened around them. So when we move up into the next group, so we're looking like late elementary aged, middle school, there's actually still in this group a prevalence of magical thinking, but it looks a little different. Um, And again, that, that kind of sense of that there must be something that I did that contributed to this or something that I can do to keep everybody else safe. Right. Because now there starts to be a little bit more of an understanding of the fact that death can happen to anyone And that feels really scary. So now I've lost someone who's important to me, who I love, who, who else is going to die or who else might this happen to? And that feels really scary. And so we want to be really open with kids at this age about there's nothing that you did that caused this death to happen. Um, There's nothing that you could have done to, to change what happened. Um, They do need to hear that really clearly because they, it's normal that they would be wondering about something like that. Um, and even, you know, kind of trying to work out ways to prevent it. Um, if that makes sense, you know, so I'm thinking about when I, you know, when I was a kid, um, I had an uncle who died very unexpectedly when I was about 11. Um, and I remember, you know, all the things that I thought at that time. But one of the things that I thought was that like, I had this pair of lucky socks and if I was like wearing the lucky socks, like I could somehow prevent this from happening again to somebody else. And so really like, here's this middle school age girl who was wearing these like stinky socks. And so we'd be thinking like, this is a child who doesn't know, it doesn't bathe well or isn't taking good care of herself. And if you're trying to address the behavior of like, here's a clean pair of socks, put these on and like problem solved when really in my head, I thought that I was protecting my family. And so those are the type of things like when I say, let's be curious about the behavior or about what we're seeing, that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Um, If we're we're working with kids this age and seeking only to address the behavior that we're seeing, we could be missing something huge. And so opening those conversations with our kids can be really helpful because 
they might be thinking something really heavy, mm-hmm. holding something really heavy. And if we're not opening the door, they're going to be holding it themselves. Yeah. Hey, Kate, can I follow, I just, Chris, I just going to follow up because there's a couple things. Yeah. Um, this conversation piece of parents and kids, um, it's pretty delicate, right? So you, you, you can't, you, it's like your child's not your therapist. And so how do you balance um, sort of not dumping your own, like it, this, it's, I, I think this is a real, and I'm thinking back to my kids when they were really young and my dad passed away. And it's like, okay, like I can't, I got to balance their grief and I just can't dump on them. Like they can't carry and hold all of my adult stuff. So like, that's like really hard to, to like, to be there for them. And also you need to be open that you're grieving and that you're sad. And this is really difficult for as a family, but yet not dump so much on top of their kid where they are as a kid to sort of own all your stuff too. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think you actually articulated that really beautifully, right? There is this kind of fine dance that we want to do. We don't want to hide what we're feeling. It's okay for our kids to see us cry, to be tearful, to be angry, to feel Mm -hmm. sad, to be happy, right? We can be happy again and laugh after a loss, all Mm -hmm. those things. It's okay for our kids to see that. We want our kids to see that. And we, and when that's happening, Mm -hmm. we want to be really open about that. I'm crying a little bit because I just, I'm having a hard day and I feel like I miss my dad a lot today. Have you felt like that lately? You know, so we want to be really clear about what's happening, even, you know, extending that into the ways that we're taking care of ourselves. I took a long walk after work today because I just felt like I had a really sad day today and I thought it might help to get my body moving. So being really clear and intentional about that. Okay. And then saving some of the deeper stuff for Mm. our adult network our partners our friends our colleagues like the people who you know are in your corner those are the people that then you can take the pieces yeah that aren't as appropriate to share with for kids and do you find do the parents ask this question when kids seem um unaffected so and i i mean i don't think they're ever unaffected but like well, geez, that didn't take long for them to just like get right back into the swing of things. And meanwhile, I'm still, you know, it's that whole thing when anyone dies, I think we all struggle with that. Like, Hey, life is going on for everybody else. And you might still be over here in the, this is not fair. How is, how is life going on for everybody else? And I think that's one thing to to see that happen with your adult community around you. But I think when your kids seem to like bounce right back, I don't know. You're like, well, what is wrong with you? You are not. Right. I, I, you right. know, do you like, not have feelings? What's do happening? Do you not have feelings for your grandparents yes. or for your yeah. whatever happened here? Yeah. So I don't know. Does that ever come up? Oh my gosh. All the time. Okay. And this is such a great question because again, that's us as adults looking for what we think grief should look yeah. like when really adults or grief in kids looks really different than grief in adults. So it's really normal, really appropriate, very age appropriate Mm. for children to be in and out of grief. And even really quickly, you know, you might have a child who is tearful and crying one moment and saying like, I, you know, I remember my daddy died and we had to go to the funeral and I felt scared. I didn't like being there. And then they're playing, you know, they, they're very much in the present And so they are capable in a way that adults are less so to kind of have an emotion bubble up, Mm -hmm. meet the emotion, 
with no judgment and kind of release it in some way and then move on. So it's really common for kids to dip in and out of grief. And when they go into playing, that doesn't mean that they're done or they're no longer grieving. You know, they'll, they'll come back to the grief when it comes Mm -hmm. up for them again. And, and so that is really normal. And so when we see kids and we think, you know, like I'm still in this really acute period of time, like immediately following the death where every day, every moment of every day just feels Mm -hmm. so hard. Kids are not having that experience um, just because their, their brains are wired differently they are a bit more present in the moment than we are. So they can respond to happy stimuli and things like that and meet that with happiness and joy. Whereas, you know, for adults, that's, it's, that's a trickier pivot to make, but that's, so that's really normal for kids. And if you find yourself looking at your kids and thinking like, you don't seem sad or you don't seem to understand. Yeah. And you want to drag them back into that. How awful this is. Yeah. Yeah, Um, We don't need to kind of like shake them and say like, wake up, this is so scary and terrible mm -hmm. and awful. Like, they'll kind of, they'll get to that moment when they feel that moment. Kate, I want to ask you a question about what happens if you, I think sometimes parents oftentimes for a variety of reasons might have to kind of shelf their grief and not deal with it to put their attention on other things. So I want to take a quick break. And then when we get back, I want to ask you that question. Chrissy, is that you? Cheryl. Oh my gosh. How are you? Good. I was just thinking about you. I've been missing the days when we used to hang out with the kids. Ugh, I miss those days too. Parenting isn't getting any easier. I wish I could connect with other parents like I used to. Have you heard that our CTC parent-to-parent peer support groups are ready to start? They are? Tell me more. Well, CTC already does a lot for parents and youth in the Downingtown community. Now they're starting parent support groups. Would you like to come with me? There's a new topic each month, and it will be a relaxed and casual conversation guided by a parenting professional. I'm expecting it to be much better than searching on Google for an hour. Oh, you do that too? Yes, I'd love to join you. Fantastic. I'll text you the link, but it's easy to remember. It's dtownctc.org. Then click the Parent to Parent tab and choose Peer Support Groups. Listen, I gotta run, but let's definitely plan to go together to the next session. That sounds great. I'm so glad I saw you today. I'll look for your text for the info about the parent to parent peer support group. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Hey, Karen, is it that time of year already? Can you believe it? CTC's second annual snowball shuffle, 5K run, and one mile walk is Saturday, March 4th at Eagle View Town Center. Awesome. Last year was so much fun. We had over 250 walkers and runners. Are we doing a hot chocolate station again this year? You better believe it. We're also having a sweet treats table, team contests with prizes, a raffle, and more. Make sure you bring the whole family. Wow. I love that this not only supports CTC's mission to empower individuals to live healthier lives, it's also a fundraiser to support this podcast, other parent programs, plus our youth hype clubs. Absolutely. CTC counts on donations to support everything we do. Okay, so where do we go for more information and to sign up? Go to runsignup.com and search Snowball Shuffle to register. And while you're there, you can also create a fundraising team. Great. I'll be sure to add the registration link to our show notes too. We hope to see you March 4th at the Snowball Shuffle. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. 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 
Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Okay, we're back. So, Kate, thinking, coming off of Beth Ann's question, what is the fallout for parents who might be in the position where almost kind of the, the same thing that Beth Ann just said? So, it's like, say there's a loss in the family, and then maybe kids are not presenting like, hey, I'm fine, whatever, bye. Maybe they are having a really, really hard time. And so then maybe the parent has to kind of shelf their own stuff because they got to support these kids. And, and and I know we're going to get to that and talk about how parents can support kids. But so say, you know, there's things happening, there's other random crises happening, and it, there's no break in things, right? What is the fallout or the impact of that when someone has to be like, well, this person died and I need to deal with it, but I don't have the capacity or time or space to deal with it because I got to do all these other things. Like what is, what are the repercussions of that? Or do you understand what I'm saying? Like my question. You mean like what, what are our kids perceiving in those moments? Like when they don't see us grieving? just, Just for the person that's shelving it. Like how does that affect them? Like, what's the fallout from that? If you're like, well, it would be really great to deal with this in my own feelings myself, but I don't got time for that right now. So we're yeah, just not yeah. going to deal with that. Yeah. But Chris, yeah. but I think Kate's question is, a, it's a flip thing. Yeah. It is on the side of, because that's a message to kids about how we handle grief True. and what they carry with them for the rest of their life when they will have lots of other people, they will lose other family members and friends along the way. So I think it's two things, right? What's the yeah. repercussions to the parent mm-hmm. who shelves it? And then what's the repercussions to the kids who now have just witnessed how you handle grief? Yeah. I have so many things to say. Okay, okay. <laughs> so... From a parenting perspective, so when we're thinking about the kids, I think what's really important to remember, not to take this on as as more pressure, but almost to release yourself of the pressure of like having to do this exactly the right way. What's important to remember is that our kids are learning a really important lesson right now about who we turn to when we're struggling or in pain. And how do we take care of ourselves? How do we treat ourselves when we're struggling or in pain? And I think really the only way forward is to model for our kids. Like, even if I can't care for myself well every moment, I know that it's important that I'm caring for myself well. And I'm going to get to that. Um, And I'm going to, I trust you enough. And I'm going to talk to you about the ways that I'm taking care of myself because I know it's important for me to take care of myself, which brings me kind of to the next point, which is that really taking good care of yourself when you are grieving is the first step in caring for your kids well. And I'm talking about like tending to your most basic needs, right? Like, no, we're not going to be able to do a therapeutic retreat when our kids are really in crisis and we need to show up for them. Like, this is not the time to like totally dip out and be having like self-care dinners every night with our friends, because that's what we feel like really healing for our heart. Right. I'm talking about like hydrating well, eating well, eating your meals each day and making sure that you've got the kind of food that's going to fill your body up and give your body fuel because grief is exhausting. And so we actually have to fuel our bodies well. So water, 
good food that's going to get you through, that's going to nourish you and give you strength and stamina. And we want to be sleeping well. So if you are tending to those basic needs, I would, well, I would say really, you've got to tend to those basic needs, even when you are on the front lines of caring for your kids, because their, their pain and their needs feels like what you have to address first. You've got to be tending to yourself at a basic level in order to continue pouring into their cup. And then we want to talk to them about that. You know, like I'm going to go to bed early tonight because I feel really tired because grief is really tiring. I'm feeling a lot of grief in my body. Um, I, I have a belly ache or I have a headache or all of these things can be attributable to grief. And we, we want to be open with our kids about that. And so making sure that they see us at a really basic level, caring for ourselves um, and giving them the vocabulary and the, the modeling so that they know how to tend to their own needs at a really basic level. And then also communicating about like the next level of ways that you would care for yourself. Well, if that makes sense. I think that's really helpful to remember that because um, everybody you're all in this together. Yeah. And you're running them both. Your, you know, the kids and your own adult needs all are happening at the exact same time. And, and I, I remembered too, one other thing oh, I wanted to say, Chrissy, yeah. in response to your question about, you know, what are the repercussions for that as an adult? Yeah. And there absolutely are consequences to that of like bottling that up. If we bottle it up and then turn away from it, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be times that we have to compartmentalize. And if, if we are aware that that's what we're doing Mm -hmm. Uh and intentional about turning back to it when we have the time and space Uh that I think makes a big difference and goes a long way. Uh Right. So that we're not just like shelving it and I'm not ever going to look at that again. Not going to like give myself a moment to cry when I, when I need it at some point, even if I can't do that right now. Um, That is very those two things are very different, right? Like knowing that you're intentionally compartmentalizing something because you need to in that moment and you'll get to it when you can versus just kind of like closing our eyes to it and hoping that the pain goes away. Um, that's when I think we start to get into, into trouble down the line. But what mm-hmm. does that trouble look like? Like, <laughs> cause it's going to follow you. Like whether well, you're intentional does. about it or not, it's going to, it's going to creep up on you and come out of nowhere and be like, Oh, hello, still here. Oh, yeah. 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 And right. And grief, it can look a hundred different ways because grief is so different for each different person, but it absolutely is physical symptoms that can go on and get more extreme headaches, belly aches. We're having like all of this stress pain in our body. We're really fatigued in a way that we can't overcome or we're fidgety or restless, not able to sleep or sleeping too much. Um, Those can kind of snowball into then having people feel like they need to turn to adverse coping strategies because now this is just so intolerable. I need to be numb in some capacity, right? Like I've, I'm, it feels so impossible to hold or to look at now or to deal with now that, you know, I'm going to be turning to substance use or increased alcohol consumption to kind of just make, again, the feelings go away um, instead of just really knowing that, it's normal to be distressed when someone we love dies. 
it's normal to have a painful experience and it's normal for our grief to kind of bubble up at different times. And so if we know that that's normal and that there's nothing wrong with us and we don't need to fix those feelings or make them go away, and instead we can try and focus on taking good care of ourselves in small ways when the grief does bubble up or when the grief is really acute, um, it helps us from feeling like we need to kind of find a way to numb it and make it go away down the line, because again, we can't make it go away. That's not how grief works. You have anything, Bethany? I don't know. Well, I just was thinking of how important that message is that, that, that Kate was just sharing with us about it doesn't go away because, but, and I also really worry about, um, not worry, but I, I, I think that I've seen enough in, you know, in my kids and also just in talking to, to other families where, you know, culturally, or just how it was in your family that you dealt with grief. And in, certainly, you know, in our family, it was a very much like, okay, this is really intensely sad and really awful right now, but you're all going to get yourself together and we are going to get right back out there. And you just do that. Right. And right. I everybody had, be strong. Everybody be strong. And I yeah. recently had a conversation with a friend slash colleague who going through some things recently, and we both shared that that has been our approach to it. And, um, and I now, you know, wonder about my kids at age 28 and 26 and this colleague friend that I was talking to has elementary age children. And so it's sort of this like warning that maybe perhaps that's not the best thing to continue in your family because we're, we're smart enough as professionals to know that. But yet on some level, we are unable to um, get that out of our DNA, how we were raised and how we watched others in our family, adults grieve. And, um, and how we just didn't intentionally, but we shared that with our own kids. So when, you know, my father died and recently when my mom has died and whether it was loss of a pet or, you know, you just kind of go down all that lost stuff that everybody has to have. It's the crappy stuff and it's going to happen, but I don't think we realize that intentionally or unintentionally, we have sort of shared the message about how you grieve and how long you grieve for. Absolutely. And then we get right back out there and you may have your moments, but okay, but have those moments, but we're moving on. And the danger of that. Yeah. Yeah. And those messages are really, really deeply ingrained. And so it's hard to shift the narrative. So I want to mm -hmm. honor that too, that, you know, mm -hmm. when you are grieving, taking on the task of like overcoming the messages that you received when you were younger and modeling something different yes. for your kids. It's a, it's a heavy lift. We know that. We know that. Absolutely. So Kate, what would you say, and you've mentioned a couple of these so far, but what are ways that we as parents can help our kids process their feelings of grief or support them? Again, it's going to be a little bit different at each age group. Um, but I think really the most important thing, and this is universal at every age, your presence is so important. Showing your kids that you're moving towards them and instead of moving away shows them that there's nothing that they could feel that's going to be too much for you or that's going to make you turn away or make you pull away or that's going to hurt you. Because a lot of times what we hear from kids at a Haven is that they don't want to cry or be sad or upset in front of their caregivers because they don't want to upset their caregivers. And mm -hmm. in the adult room, the caregivers are saying the same thing. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want my kids to see me cry. It might be scary for them. It might make them upset. And so really this really intentional moving towards each other and being physically present 
um, is so important. Let me just, let me throw this in there. All through this podcast, you've shared many things that, as far as like how parents themselves can deal with grieving, but also things that children need across the age span, you know, that are very, very helpful for them to deal with grieving. Um, are there other things, and we're going to get into some of these resources and things, but are there things like, um, like children's literature? And are there any, you know, things that help parents who might be having difficult conversations or getting the conversation started that you would recommend that helps because there, there might be, you know, some children's literature that's really helpful that gets it going, especially if you're looking for your sort of awkward, like, how are you feeling today? Are you sad about, you know, our, right. your grandfather's death? Like lead-ins? That might right. be a helpful strategy. Right. Yeah, because it, it's hard to have these conversations when mm -hmm. no one had them with us and we don't know where to exactly. start. So books are a great tool and there are books that serve each different age group um, and even books that you can kind of just leave for your teen and your teen mm -hmm. can read and you can be reading at the same time and then kind of like discussing Good. together what you read. So a, a Haven actually does have, we have on our website a book list that can be really right. helpful if you're just kind of not really mm -hmm. sure where to even start. So there's a book list there of books that that we've read and can recommend um, and then also again there's all those teaching sheets on there too that can give okay. some really helpful guidelines too and those will address a range of different topics so there's information on there for teens young children information that you can share with your child's school so that you know that your child's school feels equipped to support your child when they're on site at school okay. too um, there's you know we are giving helpful information about how do we talk to our kids about deaths that feel trickier or even more scary when someone dies by overdose or dies by suicide. These are conversations that we really don't know how to have. And so there's information there that you can utilize that can help you start those conversations or even just know how to be supportive to your kids. That, Kate, I think that's incredibly helpful um, because I just feel like a little bit more secure and confident when you're when you have um, the book or yes. you have the talking points or just some helpful ways to start those conversations. And you were one of the questions that we had that we were, were um, getting just about ready to ask was about the resources on your website and the the conversations that may be more difficult, whether it's dealing with overdose, but particularly with suicide. And is there anything specific or particular about the topic related to suicide that um, that would be really helpful for someone who's listening to this podcast to keep in mind when having that conversation? Yeah, I think it's important when we go into those conversations to really check in with ourselves and know and honor the pieces of ourselves that feel like this is really scary or really hard to talk about. Um, and to know that we're bringing into that conversation pieces of cultural stigma or mm -hmm. things that we may have learned or been led to believe when we were younger, all of that kind of like is present when we're entering into these conversations. And so just honoring the part of yourself that does feel like it's really scary to have these conversations and talk about these kind of quote unquote adult topics with yeah, younger exactly. kids. And to know that and then enter into the conversation in the same way that you would enter into a conversation about any type of death. And to remember that when you're talking with kids at any age, what is most important is to be honest and factual and brief. 
So we don't need to inundate with information, mm. but we want to use the real words, right? This person died. We won't see them anymore. For young kids, you know, that means that their body doesn't work. They don't feel pain. They can't hear us if we talk about them. Um, they won't be coming back. And then when we're thinking about you know, things like a death by suicide, we want to talk about with little kids, we want to talk about this person had a sickness in their brain and they died because their brain was sick and there was nothing that the doctors could do to help them get better. Um, for older kids and teens included, we want to be curious about what they know and what they have heard so that if they're hearing things from friends or peers or other people, we can kind of share that together and tease that out together and like what does it feel like to be hearing these things or to be thinking about these things or having questions like this or what what do you what does it mean to you when I say that this person died by suicide is that a word that you've heard before what do you understand of that and so kind of entering into the conversation again acknowledging that it's hard but with humility and honesty as as the most important factors Thanks, Kate. That was that's very helpful because I think that's some some of the convers any conversation for I feel around death and loss and grief is is obviously extremely emotional and difficult. But then I think also more so when you're dealing with topics that are the overdose deaths and and death by suicide. I think that really adds just another level of anxiety and stress. And how do how do you do that? Like how do you approach those conversations? So that's very helpful. Yeah, I think it's important to remember, too, that especially for like middle school and teenage children, mm -hmm. um, us not talking to them about it doesn't mean that they're not hearing about it. Mm. Absolutely. And so to remember and keep in mind that this is information that's going to be making its way to them. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to be an active part of that conversation and in supporting your kids so with, important. with hearing things that feel hard to hear. Kate, you, the, thanks so much for, there's just so much information that was shared that, that I've learned that's been incredibly helpful and things, of course, I wish I knew um, many, many years ago. Um, but I also wanted to, um, anyone who's listening to this podcast, as far as a haven and resources go, if you could give us some information about how to find you physically and then also your website information. And I know, and you sort of said a little bit about what's on your website would be extremely helpful so that folks can find more information for their family. Absolutely. Absolutely. So our website is just a haven.org. So a H a V E N.org. And our main email address, which is, probably one of the best ways to reach us is just info at ahaven.org. We are located in Exton. We're on Route 100, not far from the target. So 623 North Pottstown Pike in Exton is where you can find us. And our main phone number is 484-716-1807. And so you can reach out to us if you are a family who is grieving and in need of support. If you are a school or organization interested in learning more about supporting grieving children, or even if you are just a member of the community who knows a family who is grieving and you're looking for guidance, we welcome all of that. And one thing I did forget to mention that's important to know is that all of the services that we offer for kids and families are offered at no cost. So everything that we provide is offered at no charge. Wonderful. And Kate, do you serve, is it Chester County? Or do you- Chester County, County, although really whoever, 
wants to make their way to us. We do have families who travel in from other counties as well. If, if you are in need of support and you can make your way to us, we are here and ready to receive you. That's wonderful. Thanks, Kate. This is great, Kate. And I will say too, like uh, we had a loss um, this past fall and I did look on your website at your different, like all the resource page that you have with like the book lists and the handouts and stuff. Really great for little kids, elementary age kids, like scripts of here's examples of things to say. Very like tactile, hands-on things. So you're Everything is very, it is like you go to, your, it's like a warm hug. Like you go on your website oh, and it's gosh. just very, very warm and welcoming. I love so that. thank you so I much for that. taking the time to be with us today. This was really helpful. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So thank you everyone for joining us today. You will find information and links to everything we talked about in the show notes. And you can follow me, Chrissy, on Instagram and Facebook um, to see more information related to the podcast, other resources, and our parent-to-parent blog. That will be linked up too. Be sure to click subscribe or follow in your podcast app that you're listening to us in so you can stay up to date on our latest episodes. And if you are liking our podcast, we would love it if you would share it with a friend um, so we can get more listeners. So we will talk to you in two weeks. Thanks. Bye.